The Articulate Coven is the original, unofficial podcast and fan community for Anne Rice's Interview with the Vampire and Anne Rice's Immortal Universe from AMC and AMC+. Welcome to The Articulate Coven. We are your hosts. I'm Joel. And I am Ashley. And we are The Articulate Coven. Uh, Ashley, I'm so excited to be back with you again. And it feels like it's been a very long time. Realistically, we've only been off like a month. But right. it feels much longer than that. Much has happened. It does. It felt so strange to not be talking every week. But we're back to it, y'all. We're back to it. Absolutely, we're back. And just in the nick of time, as a matter of fact, as we're recording this tonight, this tonight's episode, by the way, is going to be uh, on The Witching Hour, the novel itself, the first novel in the trilogy, The Lives of the Mayfair Witches from Anne Rice. We are, of course, the unofficial podcast and fan community for uh, The Vampire Chronicles from Anne Rice, The Lives of the Mayfair Witches from Anne Rice, all of her novels, as well as the AMC series, Interview with the Vampire, critically acclaimed as it wrapped up its first season recently, and the forthcoming Mayfair Witches, which is just about to drop on AMC proper. As a matter of fact, as we're recording, it's already on AMC+. Plus. Ashley, you and I talked about it today. We got a Russian episode out here about the book so that we can watch the uh, TV series starting tomorrow and, and not get the two jumbled up together. Yeah, and I actually had timed at work today that I could have watched it while I was, you know in the background while I was doing stuff. But we re- I really didn't, you were totally right. We didn't really want it to color our conversation about the book. We wanted to be able to kind of, as much as we can, you know, you can't put the genie back in the bottle, um, but we wanted to kind of keep the conversation a little bit more purely about the book and try not to let too much of the series bleed over into it. You know, we've, we've got a lot of things to talk about, but I want to, since we sort of broached that subject there, I want to talk about this specific thing for a minute. It is interesting to me. You and I got to cover really the first five books, definitely the first four, but we even did the Mimnock episode before we had seen any of the Interview with the Vampire TV show other right. than the trailer. By the time we did Mimnock, we had seen the trailer, but we still hadn't even seen the behind-the-scenes documentary. You know, we didn't get any uh, spoiler episodes or, or screener episodes or anything like that, so we were still going into it fresh, just imagining what it could be. Here... We've already seen and heard quite a bit about what this series is going to be, some of the changes they're going to make, et cetera, et cetera. We've watched all of the or a lot of the, um, you know, uh, cast panels that have been at the various comic cons and things like that. And, and so here we can't discuss this book or any of its sequels definitely without being in the shadow of the series. I think that's sort of a positive and a negative. For one thing, we've got a lot of conversation about the Vampire Chronicles, if you go back to our earlier episodes, where we specifically are discussing the Hulu adaptation, which was in the works at the time. The, we didn't know a lot about that either. But specifically, we were talking about whole different production crews and, you know, their background and what they might bring to the series. And none of that ends up being uh, real at all. Right. We never discussed our adaptation or the, the our thoughts on an adaptation of Interview with any of the framework that we knew. The time jump, for instance, we never really looked at that until it was upon us. Here, we know all of that going in. I think generally... Because this is a slightly lesser known, slightly less beloved as far as like total numbers, total attention book series than the Vampire Chronicles. I think it's honestly, I think it's good that we're going to be reviewing them alongside each other. I think it makes more sense, especially since you and I, neither the witches aren't our favorites, either one of us. The vampires are right. where our hearts are, really. Absolutely. Well, and you know, it's really interesting. Um, I forgot 
how much I really loved this book and how batshit crazy it is. It's just fucking bananas. Um, But like there was so much, once I started rereading it, I was like, oh shit, I remember so much of this. And it it came back to me in a much more vivid way than I expected. Um, So I realized it kind of stayed with me more than I, than I, than I thought it would or thought it did. Um, But yeah, I mean, it's, I think we'll probably be a little bit more forgiving and, but maybe not. Maybe I will be, cause we'll be a little less gushy about it. We might not be as, we might have harder opinions about it. Um, I don't know. We'll see how it, how these conversations go. A uh, couple of, uh, yeah, no, I'm, I'm with you by the way. I think, I, yeah, I think generally it's going to be a good thing. It'll be interesting to see how it all plays out. And, and again, interesting for me to see, another swipe at what does Anne Rice's Immortal Universe look like as, you know, through the lens of AMC TV. This is just our second series in the universe. They seem to have, you know, big continuing plans, even with their ongoing cost-cutting issues yeah. that not just AMC, but all the media companies Man, are facing right now. It's all the uh, streaming. Fact, they, I saw today there was a headline. Yeah, well, that's exactly it. Every, you know, Wall Street finally is calling these guys to account and saying, okay, but but what are, what's the return? We understand what you're spending on it. We understand your, you know, customer acquisition, but what are you, what is the total money that you're getting every month? So, and like, the and, big and the deal, yeah, up. the big They're deal is required to suddenly. The loss of the huge ad revenue, and that's like, I mean, I've read a bunch of articles about this over the mm. past couple of weeks just because I was really, I kept seeing it, and I was like, how the fuck is this happening and i was seeing you know like all a lot of the streamers a lot of the streaming services were or or cable channels that have shifted more to streaming because that's what the clientele wants you know for the most part um and most of us ditched our cable most of us ditched our dishes you know so it's it's a huge loss of ad revenue for them and i guess they just really haven't figured out a way to either monetize that revenue within their streamer services or i i don't know but it's wild how much of an issue it's become for these companies that are producing good shows and 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 making awesome content and so it's not and like breaking streaming records too like that's the other crazy thing you know well i do think amc is in a great position the combination of their own original content and the fact that they also own shutter right they've got this great oh, you know yeah. specific uh, streaming service that's there within the AMC network. I think they're a really ripe acquisition target, honestly, if you if you ask me. I think that they are incredibly um, promising for one of the larger streamers to sort of gobble up over the next few years. Yeah, that's definitely and true. end up with, you've got this huge library of content that people really, really love that's just right, waiting to, you know, be enveloped in into whatever other overarching whether that's a netflix or an apple tv or or whatever but anyway i don't think these shows are in danger no 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 i don't think this universe is in danger the ip has incredible value the first show is you know was a home run both in the ratings but also in especially critical response i think this one the initial buzz has been very good. We'll see what the final product look like, looks like. But I do think AMC is going to continue to invest here, no matter you know what their overall corporate fates uh, hold. Let's go ahead and talk about, before we get 
to the book specifically, let's talk about a couple of um, just like housekeeping things. Um, first and foremost, uh, thanks for staying with us through our hiatus and, and hello and welcome to all those who have joined us. I want to remind you to check the show notes. If you're a Facebook person, we've got a great Facebook group, which is very active. Yeah. If you aren't a Facebook person, we've got a Discord, which we would love you to join. Either one of those, you can have in-depth conversations about the episodes specifically, about the media that comes out around the episodes, about the books themselves, all of that stuff in its own place. So uh, you don't have to get spoiled on everything. You don't get stuff shoved in your face accidentally. But when you want to talk about something, you've got a great community that's very friendly and uh, excited to talk about it with you. So check those links all in the show notes. Yeah, we can unpack it all together, guys. That's right, man. That's right. Exactly. We can unpack it together. The other thing that I was going to uh, remind everybody of or tell everybody, I guess we haven't mentioned this specifically yet publicly, we are going to do another Dorian Discussion Club. Uh, it's coming up as we record this. It'll be the Monday right in front of us. We're talking about uh, Monday, January 9th. We're going to do a premiere party for the Mayfair Witches. That'll be Monday night, uh, the 9th. I think it's, Ashley, is it 5 p.m. Central? Is that what we're doing? Yeah, 5 p.m. Central. I think that... Um one of the other one of the Dorian partners that's going to be on with us is um, from a land across the sea. So we got to be accommodating for them as well so we can get everybody everybody in at a reasonable hour. No one wants to be up at you know yes. 7 a.m talking about witches unless you're still up. That's right. That's right. That'll give everybody, even the um, the cable viewers, that'll give them time to watch the episode as well and then join us on uh, Monday night. Let's get to it. First and foremost, uh, let's talk about the behemoth that this book is and the whole series, but oh. this book especially. I thought this was very apt. This came from Miss Amy in our Discord. She says, I'm trying to get through the audiobook, but y'all, it's over 40 hours long. 40 hours. Yeah. It should be called The Witching Work Week. Ah, <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, you, yeah, you literally put in a damn work week listening to it. So I, I um, split this reading up between I read, I had uh, my, it on my Kindle, and then I also had it on um, on the on Audible. So I kind of split it between the two because I was trying to work through it in a reasonable amount of time. And when we were doing one of our uh, Dorian calls, Joel mentioned. You mentioned like listening to it at a higher speed, which I've tried to do before, and it's so like strange and off-putting to me. But then I realized once I got my ears used to it, it was like I was hearing the story at the speed that I read instead of someone reading at me. Does that make sense? It makes 100% sense. And it's also, it's absolutely true that your brain, your mind, whatever has to attune to the speed. And that some people, I think it takes maybe even a whole chapter or something. Maybe you have to listen for a whole day yeah. before you finally figure it out. I noticed the other day, my son turned on a podcast on his phone for us to listen to in the car. And he was listening at a slightly higher speed than I do. Not way higher and it's a speed that I listen to other shows at but this particular show I listened slightly slower than he had it and at first it sounded very strange and then he even oh yeah let me turn this down a little bit and he turned the speed down to what I normally listen to it at but I thought to myself 
I think if he'd given me, you know, five minutes. Yeah, 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 absolutely. I would have adjusted. You would have. And I wouldn't have even noticed the difference then moving forward. Well, it's like the inflection. Your brain catches up. And what up, a difference and even that makes. In- it takes this 40-hour book and turns it into a 20-hour book. A 25-hour book. Yeah, 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 for sure. And Because um, I was trying to burn through it pretty quick um, before the holidays gobbled us up, which happened anyway, you know. Um, but... Yeah, so I I sort of split it, and I loved the way that I split it. Also love this narrator. She's fantastic, and she does uh, Pandora as well, because I listened to that audiobook, like, um, in the car one time and she does she reads that book as well she's fantastic it's, so it's a it is a really really good listen um I read these books originally out of order <laughs> which is really? crazy which, book, which book did you start with I was given what did a you start co- with? I think Taltos <laughs> wow I know I know. I I believe that I was given a copy of it and I was like, well, this is like <laughs> the third part of this. And I hadn't read The Witching Hour yet. I had already burned through a lot of the vampires by that, you know, that that had been written at that point. And I read these totally out of order. So when like <laughs> there were just some things as I was rereading this and I remembered reading that first. I was like, this is so f- there's going to be some fucked up shit that happens to some of these characters. <laughs> mm. Um, Let's dive into this thing, because I, I imagine we both have quite a bit to say and there there is a lot this whole series goes some really interesting places something that had actually never occurred to me until after my reading when i started to sort of search out some other people's thoughts online i think i even i think this came directly from uh something in one of the discussions on our discord uh community actually but I realized for the first time, finally, the Taltos, this overarching story of the Taltos, is Anne's swing at fairies or elves. This is her version of the Elden folk, you know, the the people before, the magical folk of, right, of, of right. all of the lore that, you know, she likes so much. And so many other authors take really interesting swings, particularly we've discussed the, you know, the True Blood books before, uh, the Charlene Harris novels. They're all about the combination of fairies and vampires. That's effectively like the central thing once you really open the world up. Uh, um, the uh, Anita K, uh, uh, Laurel K. Hamilton, the Anita Blake books, they take swings at fairies as well. And then she's got a whole series that just focus on the fairies. It, yeah, I hadn't really thought about it, but yeah, the Taltos are her elves. Yeah, I hadn't thought about it that way, but that's a very interesting take on it for sure. I mean, yeah, a, kind of that ancient, that sort of ancient spirit type, you know, character. Um, yeah, wow, it's a lot. Well, I, but not just not just the the spirit, but the the people that they come from, right? Which you, is what you got thrown into right, with the Taltos, but right. the third one, which, which is really bananas. focuses on this like <laughs> ancient world, and you and you find out about all of these, you know, these humanoid, you know, people that lived before us, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, anyway, but what it starts with is a house, this beautiful, beautiful house that she was entranced by, and 
she had already been toying with the a story about witches. She had been working on that, but it really took flight when she moved to New Orleans and and bought this house on First Street, which is the actual real world basis for the Mayfair house. Um, the house is beautiful. And if it you really guys- is lovely. Yeah, and the house that they got for the show, the house that they got for the show is not on First Street, but it is very, very. It looks very much like the actual house. Yeah, it really does. I didn't. I'll, I'll be interested to know if is that an actual house? Did they or did they build a facade? Do you know? It's my understanding they did the same thing that they did for Interview with the Vampire. It's based on an actual location, and some of the exteriors are shot there, but then they also built a set Excellent. that you can do whatever you want to. Well, yeah, right? you would have yes. to. That house is, the house is described in such, in such incredible detail at times, and it is a character in the book as well. You know, that the house itself is a living, breathing entity, without a doubt, in this book. So... Other than the house, the first thing that strikes me by this book particularly, the series as a whole though, this series is very rapey. Oh my <laughs> I mean, God, you guys. And, and not just in that many characters are raped, but Rowan and Michael specifically are two, you know, protagonists ostensibly, the two main characters of this book especially. Both of them have rape fantasies yeah. that they mention. They like it they a little rapey. They like their sex. Rowan describes it rough and tumble like a rape from both sides. <laughs> I really think that this book, you get a real taste of like Anne's erotica writing in this as well. Like these are some pretty sexy, steamy scenes. Um, you know, if you, <laughs> if you could get past the fact that everybody likes it, very rough, apparently. Well, so Anne has said elsewhere, you know, on uh, in interviews and things like that, that she personally writes about sex in a transgressive way, in an, in an aggressive way. She personally, I think, has these fantasies. And so for her to personify that in a couple of her characters makes sense. It's just something that personally makes me uncomfortable. And honestly, it keeps both of these characters specifically out of remove from me. I can't identify with them in the way that I do so easily with Lestat especially. And it's funny because I say quote unquote funny. Lestat obviously rapes people in the <laughs> books right. specifically. He sort of did that to Louis in the first season of the TV series. Um, and yet... Uh, the fact that he does not fantasize or glorify those actions, um, it, it doesn't make it part of his person or his personality to me in the same way that it does very much to Rowan and Michael, both of them, both of them. This is kind of part of who they are. And it continues on into the other books as well. Anyway, well, and you even it just get, keeps them out of, out of remove and it makes of, this whole thing a little less appealing to me. Yeah, I totally get that. You, I mean, it is, it's a little uncomfortable for sure. It's definitely, but I also have to remind myself too, that it's like, we're kind of hearing the secret thoughts of these characters because we've got this omniscient narrator instead of a first person narrator, which is how, you know, our vampires are told to us. So it's just kind of a different, I don't know. It's kind of a different voice, I guess. I don't know. I'm with you. It's, it's, it, I, you know it's what? real rapey. 
you know what i had not considered that but you are you are so right this is from a different you i mean we do hear their voices but it's not it is from that third person on right. mission it's not none of these books are written by rowan or or michael or even lasher or you know mona etc um yeah no very good point very good point that i had not considered yeah you almost have to settle into the different language Yes, yes. No, you're a million percent right. Uh, and all, all, honestly, that goes to show why there are some people who prefer the witch series over the vampire series in oh, that yeah. if you're used to that sort of omniscient third person thing as opposed to the epistle style almost from the vampire chronicles. Huh. It, yeah, it's interesting that I had not considered it. There's a line here, though, that I want to get to since we're talking about the sexiness and the rapiness. Do it. Uh, Rowan at one point describes Michael. She's talking about how all the things that Michael does turns her on. Uh, she says, they turn me on all directly, genitally erotic. <laughs> they are so horny. <laughs> I love that. She found them all directly, directly. genitally erotic. Anne was many things. A prude was not one of them. No, no. And I, these characters are unapologetically horny. Like, and I, I kind of dig that, you know, get yours consensually, please, but get it, you know, however you like it. I'm not going to yuck your yum, but you know, they are horny. This is, there's like graphic sex smattered all through this. The uh, airplane, I had forgotten about the airplane scene. Um, the <laughs> oh, girl, your favorite, your favorite spirit rape. Too. And listen, <laughs> listen, listen. Fourteen-year-old Joel, fourteen-year-old Joel, whatever. When I, whatever I was, when I finally got to the witching hour, I think that was absolutely my favorite. It's still my favorite scene of the whole fucking book. <laughs> that scene is hot, hot, rapey or not. So funny. No, it is. It's very hot. Like, th like that's the thing. I think this makes people un this book can make you uncomfortable because it is very sensual. It's very sexual. It's very uh, it's unapologetically raunchy sometimes, and I love that. I kind of love how filthy it is. It in some ways it reminds me of you know the scene in um I mean of course you know the scene everybody knows the scene but you know this you know the scene in The Exorcist where <laughs> uh, the the kid you know takes the crucifix and jams it into herself oh yes you very know, th familiar that's the, the thing that everybody's like oh my god okay but that's like that's a thing that was done i mean obviously first of all it's sort of like absurd and and so over the top as to be laughable but it's also like specifically meant to evoke like revulsion of a religious profane nature right like yeah. you're supposed to go oh how could you with the crucifix i think a lot of this book <laughs> yes i think a lot of this book i think a lot of this book is meant to sort of push everyone's buttons oh you think you're open-minded huh right well, right what right. about this oh well what about what about if your granddaughter was also your lover? You know, uh, <laughs> and your, your granddaughter and your daughter. And your and daughter. Your, and your you know, cousin. Your and your cousin's yeah. cousin. And her aunt. My God. This is so incestuous that it would make a Targaryen blush. Like that, this is so deeply... <laughs> deeply incestuous like you get into the history of the witches which is actually 
an awesome part of the book, in my opinion, where Aaron's kind of, and you kind of get it through the perspective of, not to jump ahead, but you kind of get it through the perspective of Michael is reading these these documents that Aaron has given him so that he can really learn about the Mayfair family and what the hell is going on. And um, and so you kind of get it through that that perspective and it's always through the lens of the the, the person in the Talamasca who is <laughs> the poor bastard who is going to be driven insane and eventually <laughs> driven to death by these crazy witches and their lasher. And so it's just it's such a great part of the book, but um, I had forgotten just how 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 thin this family tree is. It's got the one branch. Oh, it starts straight. It ends straight. Yeah, it's straight in the middle, like the uh, from go. The the you know Peter Peter von Abel the 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 Talamasca member who starts this whole thing with the uh, poor the bastard falls in love with he's the father yeah the poor I mean and again he's sort of sucked into it which by the way that's the one thing and we're about to get to Michael Curry that's where I want to start our oh. discussion in earnest but the one thing that I'm I'm going to miss I feel like from Michael's absence in the series uh, specifically, in the TV series specifically, is the parallels that you can draw from the way that he is sucked into this family's orbit and specifically to Rowan and her undoing, just in the same way that Peter was drawn in by the first few witches. Yes. You know, it, he, Michael means well. He falls genuinely in love with Rowan and then works hard to do what she wants and what is right for her. And because of that, it brings about his own undoing. He's part of a lot of atrocities. I mean, if you had shown Michael the story of his life as it was going to play out before he actually got hooked up with Rowan, I mean, he might have jumped off a building. I think, honestly, he might have just right. ended it and cut it all short because I don't think he would have wanted things to play out this way. But once he met Rowan, he couldn't get away. Peter's very much the same way. Once he's connected to these witches, he he knows it's wrong, particularly with his daughter then eventually. He knows it's wrong, and yet over and over again, he cannot help himself. He's drawn back into their circle. It's the same thing that we find from all of our lead witches with Lasher. They all know sort of instinctually at a deep level that he's playing them, even the ones who truly believe they have him under control. They know really he thinks he's getting away with something here. He's working towards an unseen goal. What could it be? And at different times, they sort of have convinced themselves that they're smarter than he is. Right. Absolutely. But even they know this is all a devil's bargain. Yeah. I mean, it is. It's you anyway, you make a deal with the it's, devil. This is and a fascinating story. It is. It is. And we've kind of jumped into the middle. I'm, I'm sorry. I did not mean to to derail us from right off the bat, but it is. It's crazy and and how how everyone's manipulated and manipulating, you know, and and it's all so much of it is based in an attempt to control the situation, which is completely uncontrollable. Oh, 100%. 100%. And the the thing that here's the one point that I want to make on on this sort of middle of the book section that we're in now and then let's go back cuz I do want to start with Michael. But this section of the book is so thick and rich. It's my favorite. It's my favorite honestly of the entire witch Trilogy. I think it's mine too. This, I love this know, long this history. It's so rich. So good. 
Also, it's epistolic, right? Yeah. This section is written in letter form like the VCs that we like so much. So it may be that first person narration that we that we really enjoy more than anything else and just seems so gifted at it. All right. I want to talk about Michael. Here's the thing that occurred to me in this reading. Michael Curry is a lot of things, but the primary thing that I think he is is an inversion of the handsome prince rescuing the damsel. You know, this is Anne Rice writing a very stereotypical uh, literary hero. He's rough and tumble, but also erudite. He comes from a low beginning, and yet he is well off. He's built himself up. He is, yes, he's strong and independent as a man, and yet completely subservient and, uh, you know, willing to follow the whims of our strong female heroine. And yet, he saves Rowan from nothing. We're led from the very beginning in his story to believe he's got this grand purpose from the other side. He's supposed to stop something. He's supposed to save somebody. You know, all of these uh, ancestral spirits are counting on him, and it's sort of this specious, what is the meaning, et cetera, et cetera. But he knows he's got a purpose. And yet in the end, his purpose was Lasher's purpose. Yeah. And he's sort of a, a, a side car to the main attraction which is again he's a pawn he's a pawn a pawn which is again why i think in the overall scheme of things it probably makes sense to combine characters with aaron leitner and michael curry in the tv series into this character of sip but boy it's interesting to look at what ann you know started to do what she built with michael and then where he goes as a character arc and that that arc of the you know, the handsome prince saving the damsel, except, nope, never mind. The damsel saved herself and ran off with the villain. Maybe? What happened? What happened? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. What the fuck happened? Like, what? <laughs> and that's the thing. I think that everyone is Lasher's pawn. And, and, and whether you realize it or not, the strongest of the witches is a pawn when it comes down to it. Because... He is such a clever manipulator. It's just insane to me how quickly she he can turn this situation on Rowan. It's just fucking bananas to me. Like everything about this book, everything's very fast. It all takes place over the course of like not a lot of days. I mean, well, like the beginning part of it, you know, she get, getting them getting to New Orleans and then dealing with the house uh, you know, dealing with the death of the aunt, dealing with, you know, with the funeral and all of that is also fast. And then they get married and then, and then, you know, she's pregnant and then it's just like fucking A. You know, it, it just feels like it all happens so fast. And then, and then you turn around and, and, and you've gotten, the devil has played you, girl. Played you. So it ends it, it ends it. New Year, right? Or does it end at Christmas? Is the, I think I think the very like final it, chapter is at New yeah, Year. Yeah, it's right around like Christmas way, pops in my head for some reason. But yeah, it's like right around that. It's right around. Yes, they they got married at Christmas. 
No, it's absolutely it's absolutely Christmas, and there's there's a snow scene towards the end too during because it snows in New Orleans at Christmas, which was which is honest to God magical. It really does feel otherworldly when it happens all the time, Joel. Well, no, so it doesn't happen much, but when it does, <laughs> I mean, I so when I lived there, I lived there for three years, and during those three years, we had two hurricanes, and both years that we had hurricanes, that winter it snowed and stuck. Neither time did it stick like for more than twenty four hours, but right like, for a morning at least, you got to go out and play in the snow. And it is, honest to God, bewildering, bewilderingly magical, just as described in the book. I hope we get that in the TV series. That maybe it depends on how they're going to break this down. It may be in season two before we get there. But yeah. either way, um, so that you're right in that it does take place from like early, early fall, maybe like the end of the summer is when we meet our characters. And then the final events of the book take place either right at or right after New Year's. Right. So you it, it you know it's a matter of months at most. And most of those happen off screen or off page in between when Rowan and Michael move to New Orleans and when the wedding actually takes place. Right. There's 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 like a month or a month and a half when they're doing all the family stuff and a lot of that is not actually even depicted in the book. But so the compression is real. It, the, here's the one other thing that I think is necessary about the character of Michael for them to bring over to Sip, and I don't know if they're going to do it based on the name in particular. And we, I don't, I haven't seen enough of him in the trailers to know to get a feel for where his character's origins are. Michael, the one thing that he brings to this that I think is important is he's lowborn New Orleans, right? There's a yeah. line in the the scenes where. Where, where he and Rowan are together, the family knows about it, and everybody's sort of sizing him up as the family gets to know him. Ryan Mayfair in particular uh, is introducing himself to Michael and talking, and he's trying to praise Michael about his success. But Michael reads it immediately and realizes, oh, Ryan had me investigated. He wanted right. to know if I'm trying to you know, weasel in on Rowan's money and the family's money, et cetera, et cetera. But the line from the book is, this was a little talk about the geography of New Orleans that he, uh, Ryan, had come from the other, oh, excuse me, not Ryan, Michael. He said that he had come from the other side of Magazine Street mm -hmm. and still had the Irish channel in his voice. Michael, even though he was a millionaire at this point, even though he's this famous architect and he's a, he's a big to-do and Ryan's actually very impressed with what he's done for himself and how he's not clearly a sycophant trying to weasel in on the family's money and bully for him, but still there was this needling understanding of we're the ones in New Orleans that matter. And you at least used to be one of those in New Orleans that doesn't matter. Right, right. right? That class, that classism, that class I warfare. I want that. I want that for that character. Well, and there's so, I mean, there are, it's an elitism. Yes. And it doesn't, that specific classism doesn't exist elsewhere in America like it does in New Orleans because uh, two things happening. First of all, there's the European influences on the city. I think that's a big part of it. But second of all, the geography. Right. The nature of the geography in New Orleans means there aren't really, uh, outside the Garden District, the Garden District, this is not exactly true of anymore. But generally in New Orleans, you don't have rich neighborhoods and poor neighborhoods. You have a very wealthy home right next door to a home that's been owned for generations by the same family and is in disrepair. And, you know, the, the, the there's 17 members of the family living in it, et cetera, et cetera. And that happens over and over again, up and down every street, right. you know. In the Garden District specifically, the property there is so high valued and has been wealthy for so long, it's less of an issue. But for most of the city, you have this intermingling of the classes. And so it does matter 
what high school you went to, what, what accent you speak with, you know, et cetera, et cetera, what your daddy did, all these things matter. And here they're calling it out. Right. Are you Cajun? Are you Creole? Yes. Cajun or Creole. Exactly. That's uh, anywhere else in the world. You don't really understand the difference there, but here it matters. And, and I think, I hope there is still that story to be told in Cyprian. Even more so, again, if Cyprian as a black man would have the same sort of thing that Louis has where not only do you have the outsider story of the vampire, but also you're a black man in America and especially the South, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. So I'm I'm interested to see what they do there. I'm sure Cyprian is going to be a great character. I'm I'm sure that actor is going to bring a lot to it. I'm sure they've got interesting stories to tell, but this low-born New Orleans aspect of Michael is something that I really hope we do get somewhere in there. I, you know, it could come back up with uh, with Merrick down the down the road as like the the wrong branch of the Mayfair family, um, but still, I'm hopeful. I'm hopeful that we get some of that. I love Aaron Leitner so much. I really, when I found out they were combining these characters first, I was like, "What the fuck? How are they doing that?" Because I thought, "Is this going to be an Aaron?" Are they going to make this all Aaron? Are they going to make this all Michael? This is going to be weird as fuck. But like kind of combining them into a new character, I somehow find easier to accept, if that makes sense. I don't know. But this book just totally reminded me of what a fucking fabulous chap Aaron Leitner is. I love that character. He's so, he's so delightful. It's just one of those characters like like Pandora. You know, I love these characters that are not necessarily, you know, the main focus of everything. And he's just one that I was just I've always in my heart, I've always been like, "Oh, I love that guy." And this book really reminds me of why I love him. He's so he's so kind and careful with with Ronan and 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 with uh, and with Michael. You know, he's very careful with them and careful about introducing all of this to Michael and trying to keep everybody safe and but wanting wanting Michael to have all the information that he needs to have to be able to navigate this safely because it is a wasp's nest on a good day. <laughs> Boy, that's the truth, isn't it? Um, I love Aaron Leitner too. I, I love the Telemasca period. I do I'm too. Super hopeful that one of the things AMC is working on is a Telemasca specific spinoff. I would love to see like a Tales of the Telemasca, where we literally get yes individual anthology stories throughout history, one-offs. You could tell any story you wanted to from the books or not you know, as long as it fit into canon. Anyway, I think there's a lot of potential there. I hope AMC follows up on it. Well, there's so, yeah, there's so many little, there's so many little things that are in the books that you could, that are never, they're just mentioned and then never talked about again, that you could just pull and make a really cool little, you could make a really great story, a really great, like you said, a one-off, kind of like how the first, like the first season of, how the first season of Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. felt. Or even go specifically to what AMC has done with The Walking Dead. They've got the Tales of the Walking Dead or whatever, where it's anthology style, individual one episode stories of, you know, different times, different places, different characters. Some of them come from the other TV series. Some of them don't. Um, And I think that's exactly the way that, that, that this could work. Anyway, all of that being said, the book itself has a line, I think, that is exactly it speaks to this idea of Aaron sort of being written out of the TV series. He and Michael, which by the way, you and I have already joked about it in previous episodes. A lot of this book is Aaron and Michael sitting down with each other, explaining to one another what they each know. (laughs) So like that's hard to do on screen, right? Right, right. 
Yeah, it's not it's not compelling. <laughs> Towards the end of the book, right before, you know, Michael's wrapping up his reading of the history and they're getting ready to reintroduce him to Rowan somehow, and Aaron says to Michael, "I'm not one of the players now, Michael. I didn't see the visions." I love the character of Aaron Leitner and the moments when it seems like he's going to be ingratiated into the Mayfair family and all the folks are just going to live happily ever after on the first street. I, those are wonderful. I get a glimpse there and I'm like, Oh, that would be fantastic. Right. Aaron has echoes of David uh, Talbot, of course. Yes. And I love the character of David Talbot. The Talamasca is awesome. I want more of them always, but genuinely these two characters don't both need to exist in this adaptation. And as long as they keep a handful of characteristics of each one, I think it's going to be fine. Greaves, I guess, needs to be a gentleman. We need an old, I mean, Greaves isn't old, obviously, but I do want someone who approaches all of this in sort of the gentlemanly fashion right. that Aaron does. With a little gravitas, so well. you know? He even... Yes. Well, I mean, like, even when he first tells Michael what's going on, you know, he's like, Michael, here's the truth. If you don't like it, that's fine. I'll leave you alone. But if you would like it, I've got more, you know? Um, <laughs> right. And boy, I, yeah, I, I hope, I hope we get a little of that. I hope we get a little of that from, from Cyprian, even if he is the, the lowborn New Orleans kid. Maybe he's spent his entire life with, you know, ad adopted into the Talamasca as a, as a youth or something and has been raised overseas. I don't know. <laughs> Um, I'm going to miss Aaron, but I think it's, I think it's a good choice. I think it's a good choice in the end. Uh, let's talk about our leading lady. Oh yeah, I agree. I'm excited now. I mean, once I realized it was a new guy. Yes, we have. A, yeah, we haven't. We've been talking for like a half hour and we haven't even really, really touched on Ronan, who is. Rowan, who is the lead character of this tale. Uh, so I've been watching the first season of The White Lotus, finally. Uh, Kelly oh, watched it. Kelly's it's, watched both seasons it's already. It's so wild. I, I love it. <laughs> it's crazy. Rich, it really is. You know, fucking funny. rich I'm, people. I guess I'm like five episodes in now, and I was telling her last night, every single character on this show seems like they must be related to Michael Scott from The Office. Oh, my God. There's yeah, there's so everyone on the show is so fucking awkward though, like painfully <laughs> so awkward. It's so real. I mean, that's one of the things that makes it so creepily real. Yes, no, I, and and having done a few retail you know, service jobs in my life, oh, I absolutely understand. There, there, no, the, all of these people exist. Um, but Alexandria Daddario, of course, is in that first season of The White Lotus. She's she's great there. She is our Rowan in the TV series. And so I wanted to get, I mean, I've seen her in other things, obviously, but I wanted to get a little time with her recently from something that was, you know, critically acclaimed. And she was supposedly bringing her A game. And let me see what she has to bring to the table. She is a great actress. And I'm looking forward to seeing her in this role. But the Rowan on page is just so different than anything I can see or imagine Alexandra doing. It's going to be really interesting to see the Rowan that we bring to the screen. Whereas, you know, with Interview with a Vampire, we talked about what a amazing off-the-page translation uh, Sam Reed's uh, Lestat was. I think this is going to be more akin to Louis, where there are perhaps aspects of the character that are very true to the character and you know bring her to life bring rowan to life in a way that we couldn't have imagined before and yet 
maybe bring more agency or some more interesting avenues to the character on screen than we even have on page. That's what I'm hoping for. Here I am hoping I for that too. My Rowan as written is not something that I can really imagine Alexandra doing. Yeah. Rowan's a hard ass. Like she's a tough broad and she's, demanding and she's she's very she knows what she wants and she goes and gets it you know that's that's her way and that's you know you know she's accidentally killing people on the side you know (laughs) just for giggles so she's you know she's not this wide-eyed girly girl and and that is my only like my concern about how Rowan is being portrayed makes me kind just from the just from the previews makes me a little nervous that she's going to be a little too wide-eyed and like damsel in distress, which I do not want. I do not want that for her. That character is, is not really structured that way, except with in relation. Sometimes she lets herself be that way with uh, Michael. Right. Well, and she eventually becomes that way with Lasher as well. So I think there, I think, I think the um, not subservient, I think, I think there is a. I think the same part of Rowan, honestly, that is into rape fantasy. I think that part of Rowan wants to be led and controlled, and and honestly, I hadn't thought about it until literally I just said it out loud. But maybe that's something that's like bred into the Mayfair's by Lasher on purpose, right? Like maybe there is a little. Oh bit of- God, Joel! I didn't even think about that. That's so fucking gross. <laughs> Oh no! Like he makes them like that in some way, right? So that he can. No, absolutely. (laughs) That's so awful. That's a gross thought. I'm gonna have that in mind while I'm continuing this book series. It's. I think it's absolutely like it, it is. It is a messed up relationship, and she is. You know, it's interesting. Again, again, it didn't really occur to me until just now. But we have joked about this whole book series really being like a genetic experiment by a a, a spirit yeah you know? that's yeah well in in some ways this is akin to like anakin from the star wars universe right like this is the idea of of the sith and the jedi for a thousand years we're we're thinking okay well there's this thing coming and someday like a being will be born from the force etc etc oh, yeah it's a, it's, it's the it's that chosen one trope it's the it's neo from uh fucking matrix you know it's that chosen one trope but in this situation you know she's been bred for the spe- specific purpose which is horrifying which is to give Lasher a baby body. Well, and Lasher wants a baby body. He wants to yes. breed the strongest witch he can to make himself a baby body. Okay, and that's where I want to go to right now because I want to talk about this. I, and this, we're jumping sort of way ahead here. We're kind of all over, but the birth scene. We're all over the place. The birth scene, and there are a couple of moments in the in the book before the birth scene where you kind of get a glimpse of this. But the the birth scene specifically was the one for me. I'm guessing this is going to be the finale of season one. I don't think you cast Jack Houston as Lasher for him to be disembodied for very long. I think he's going to be, I think he's going to be in the flesh by season two. And if you're going to do that, then you'll have this birth scene at the end of season yeah, one. Yeah, that's how I figure too. I think this is like the John Carpenter's 
John Carpenter, the thing level. (laughs) I hope it is. I want it to be horrifying. The body horror as you, right? No, but it should be. And honestly, I think you should, I, I would love for this to be like some, some CGI stuff too, where we literally like go inside and see the fetus before it emerges even like as Lasher is, you know, embedding himself in it. And then as he begins to, uh, to beg Rowan to work her, uh, mental powers on it, you know, her witchiness on it and, and reform the cells and align them to his purposes. All of that stuff is described in the book is really fucking cool. And it occurs to me that on a budget, you could totally do that now, honestly, with a little bit of, of prep. And, you know, if you save some of your special effects for later in the season, um, Anyway, I it's going to be fucked up. Well, since this team incest doesn't have dragons, you've got some money to spare. <laughs> you know, they don't have to spend your money on dragons. <laughs> the thing that occurred to me for the first time in this read that it hadn't before, uh, how does Rowan get sucked in, right? Because she's not... In my in my memory, it was almost like she was never a willing participant, but that's not true. Right. She runs away with Lasher, effectively. She's hiding yes. stuff from Michael and from Aaron with Lasher for a while, even before the actual stuff all comes out. Why is it? She's sucked in and seduced by two things. First of all, first of all, primarily, it's, it's the promise of immortality. She believes through him she can understand how to not only live forever herself, but to literally like end the suffering of death for everyone, basically. And then the second thing, and that's like it tickles her as a doctor, it tickles her as a witch, it tickles her like power fantasies, the whole nine yards. But then the other thing, it's his big imaginary cock. Like she likes the fact that he can fuck her in a way that literally no man can. Well, that's very and true. That's when that's what I'm thinking about. Like, I think I think this is bred into them. I think he builds these women and has literally for generations to desire him to be. You know, it's like a it's it's almost like a chemical addiction passed down through the generations for this one thing that only he can provide effectively. Well, and Carlotta was supposed to be the witch. You know, in her generation, she was supposed to be the witch. And she was like, get the fuck out, <laughs> you know? Like, old Mania Carl. Yes. And that's, you know, she's she's one that was like, no. I told him no. And she's literally the only one of them that is able to do that. And I think it's because the old frigid bitch doesn't want a big cock. <laughs> but I do think that there's something to be said I do think there's something to be said about the allure of this family too for Rowan because she has been sworn to her adoptive mother who is a Mayfair that she will never come home to her family. She will never get involved with all of this shit because that was the arrangement that was made when she was adopted. But now she has this opportunity to experience this family and she's drawn in immediately by them. She's she's immediately sucked into their world, to their voices, to their accents, to the touch of their their skin, to the beautiful dresses they wear, to, you know, the way that their hair blows in the humid breeze in New Orleans. You know, she's completely drawn to this drawn to these people. She wants to live in that house immediately, you know? She's like, get the old dead bitch out of here. I'm gonna move in. 
<laughs> so she does have this like determination. Yes, no, a million percent. I think the family, I think you're right, the family is a big draw for her too. I haven't seen the film yet. It's on my list to watch soon. There's a movie that just came out last year called The Invitation. Did you see the trailers for this? It's like I have a young African-American woman who takes a, like a DNA test. She takes the you know 23andMe or whatever, and it, she's got a distant cousin who ends up, she meets him for lunch or a coffee or something, and this guy's like, oh my God, there's a big family wedding in England at this estate. You should come. And she's like, oh, I couldn't do that. And he's like, no, 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 absolutely. We'd love to have you out. Everybody wants to meet you. We'll pay for it. And so she flies out. She goes to this wedding. It turns out the family is there. I, th- I think from the trailer, if I'm remembering this right, I think maybe they're vampires. And it's the the point of the event is to find the new, the vampire bride or something Excellent. like that. And she's supposed to be the bride. It's from the same people who did the movie a couple of years ago, Ready or Not, which was like, the crazy rich family has a wedding and it turns out they play a game on the wedding night and it's but it's deadly like you have to you have to somebody dies in in the game every wedding night when people get me anyway if you haven't seen that that's very good too ready or not god rich people are so bored <laughs> right i know the that one i can't think of her name but the actress in in ready or not is the one that looks just like margot robbie it's not margot robbie it's the other one <laughs> <laughs> and then the girl who was Khaleesi's right hand in Game of Thrones. Oh, I love her. You know who I'm talking about? Yeah, absolutely. I do too. She plays the main she's the she's the main actress in The Invitation. Anyway, The Invitation is that same sort of deal. This that that woman doesn't have a family. She doesn't know where she comes from exactly, and she's offered this, you know, myth this story of a family and jumps at it there's a part of her who just needs to belong and needs to know where she comes from and so that's very alluring this is exactly the the, yeah. the case with rowan she, she this house is home she's got a name now in this in the tv series of a more show they've they've taken away the name of mayfair even at least in the book she knows that she's adopted and the the adopted parents are actually mayfairs themselves they're just you know distantly removed from the the main branch or or and then removed also by choice uh and location anyway that is very interesting to me i do think there's a moment though towards the end here that i thought here's an example of where you can write this and make rowan you know give her more agency more uh you know personal directive whatever Rowan's so smart in this book. She's this brilliant neuroscientist, neurosurgeon. She's this incredibly gifted psychic, et cetera, et cetera. She, as we said earlier, she's just a tough broad. And yet she goes with Lasher, like we said, because of the big imaginary cock and the, and the <laughs> promise of immortality. And then at the very last minute, she is shocked and surprised and wants to stop when she realizes how he plans to come through to the real world. I'm like, girl, you figured out the doorway thing. You're pregnant suddenly. And you didn't even think about maybe your baby was going to be involved in his fucking plans. Like well, it never occurred to you until that moment. That's the thing about her. That's one of her weaknesses is that she's so fucking smart. It's the same thing that happened with Mary Beth. You're just so smart. You think that you can stay ahead of this shit. And that's also, I think one of the reasons why he glommed on to Julian too, was because he, I don't think he could all, he could ever really 100% control Mary Beth the way he wanted to last year. That is, um, but she thinks like that's her Achilles heel in this is that she thinks she's got it figured out when like it's like 
It's like me and Aunt Carl was saying, you don't understand what you're dealing with here. You can read a thousand books about this demon. You can read a thousand books about this spirit. You can talk to a thousand different people from the Talamasca, and you will not understand what it is like to deal with Lasher until you are dealing it. That's that's true. That's true. Like, he is just... Like, I honestly think she thought she had him fold. Like, because it kind of plays off. Like, I'm, I'm, I'm kind of hot. I'm kind of weak. I'm kind of dumb. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> well, even in the trailer, he says, you know, I'm bound to you. Yeah. I'm, you're, I'm, I'm your servant. I'm your servant. Um, and, and, and Cortland says the same thing. Well, and in the end, in the book, as he's laying there, sort of strangling to death in this baby form, form <laughs> with his big head, she does end up saving him, right? She does end up saving him because she's prideful. She feels that she has the power to do it, and she wants to, finally. You know, I, I want our Rowan in the TV series to have that kind of agency all the way through, even if it makes her slightly more villainous in the whole affair. I, I'm fine with that, honestly. If I, I just I don't want her to be along for the ride in the same way that Rowan is occasionally in the book. I'm okay, honestly, if our Michael, who, you know, Cyprian or whatever, fills that role. I'm kind of okay if he is. Yeah. Because I do think that's sort of the point of this is that this is a this is a damsel in distress and a and a and a charming handsome prince story that is totally turned on its yeah. head. Um, and but the monster's and, still a monster. Uh, which again, if you think about this, well, the, but that's if you think about this being an elf story or a fairy story. You know, but it's one of those older elf stories or fairy stories where the elves and fairies were sort of nefarious and, and right. the, with the deals you made always sort of came to bite you in the ass in some way. That is exactly what this is here. Lasher has his own desires and they are not the desires of his witches. No. And the witches will get some of what they want along the way, but it is a devil's bargain and there will be hell to pay in the end for all of them, honestly. And and that's what I find so fascinating here. Um, man, in that scene though, as he's laying there and then afterwards as he's recovering and sort of like finishing growing and Rowan goes back and forth between thinking about Lasher as like an experiment and then as a baby and then as a sex object right. all at the same time, that is that is a lot. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I need a Xanax about it. It's too much. It's too much. No, just so you know, guys, no one should be those three things for you. No one should be a science experiment, a baby, and your lover. That's not the same person. <laughs> Listen, nobody's nobody's uh, um, uh, telling you not to do your diaper fantasy, but you have to understand <laughs> that the person in the diaper is, in fact, a consenting adult. Right, 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 right. Absolutely. Put on your diaper, <laughs> but know who's behind the pacifier. So, Ashley, let's let's project forward a little bit. Let's assume that this season is going to work well and that AMC is going to renew it maybe even early like they did uh, Interview with the Vampire for a season two. How far do you think we get before we get more than just a mention of the vampire world? Already in season one of Interview with the Vampire, we got uh, mention of the Mayfair sisters' uh, house 
there, but it was literally just in passing. I'm guessing we'll get at least one or two of those. The Talamasca will mention that they follow vampires, for instance, or something yeah. like that. But we won't actually meet any characters. There won't be real crossover this season. Do we get it in season two, or is it further down the road, do you think, still, before AMC starts intermingling? I hope we start inter intermingling early. And that's mainly because... I'll take all the Sam Reed I can get. Like I am not, I am not. Um, I mean, I'm 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 not proud. I'll take him however I can get him. Um, and also just the idea of you know <laughs> of, of of it's fun. Everybody loves those crossover kind of things. You know, that's what's really fun about. You know, I love that about Stephen King. You know, there's little little Easter eggs hidden for you in his books, and and I like that. I like the idea of that. You know, a little treat for us that love the vampires, and vice versa to get them in the shows. You know, I think that it'll be. It's a fun way to kind of incorporate your worlds. It's a fun way to make good use of your actors that you already have on your payroll. You know, that you already have are building a fandom for. I just I think it, it's a smart move, and I would I hope they do it sooner rather than later, but. I assume we'll see some little things in passing. Maybe even a flip of the hair as someone walks past a witch on the street. <laughs> I I feel like we'll go... So, I first of all, I think we're probably going to get like a Talamasca reference or two in season two of Interview with the Vampire. And then... As you finish season two, head into season three, you're going to be talking about the Vampire Lestat storyline. You're going to be talking about heading into Queen of the Damned, probably. Right. And in Queen of the Damned, especially, as that like worldwide spanning storyline happens and Akasha awakes, I, you could absolutely see characters uh, from the Mayfairs and from the Talamasca that have appeared in the Mayfair series, season one and two, then coming over to the Vampire Show for the Queen of the Dam storyline. So that's my guess. That's when you'll start seeing them genuinely cross over. But we'll probably get some Talamasca mentions and you know some things like that. Maybe another mention of the Mayfairs generally uh, in season two of of Interview. But I think for vampires in this series, it'll be season or maybe a three. glimpse of the house in the background. Yeah, yeah, ex exactly, exactly. Some simple like that but i i don't i think we'll go at least to season three before we actually get vampires over here with our witches in some fashion um maybe even further than that you know there's no reason to rush to the merrick storyline we got a lot of stuff to get oh to jesus please proper and the um yeah don't rush the Taltos. take your time take your time there's two more books here don't 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 pull a game of thrones on us <coughs> and outpace your source material for the love of all that's holy well, and my thought is probably we're going to get the the history of the Mayfair witches, the the Talamasca files, so to speak. We'll get those storylines in flashback, but it won't all be in season one, right? You could tell those stories over the whole series. You know, if it goes five, six seasons, you could still be telling flashback Mayfair stories. And people were concerned. I know that I, I've been uh, – something I've seen a lot of fans concerned about, uh, fans of the books, like there's not a mention – and the IMDb, we don't see any mention of Julian or Mary Beth. You know, there's there's a lot of really important characters um, in the history of the Mayfair family that are not even mentioned. And a lot of people are kind of, you know, kind of bummed about that. And I don't think that it's necessarily a done deal. I don't think that that necessarily means that we're not going to get those stories. It just means we're maybe not going to get them this season. Or maybe they're having to keep some casting under their hat. 
that was the knowing what they did with interview with the vampire with and again in case you're only watching the mayfair so far i don't want to spoil it go back and listen to our episodes there but there there was a casting you know reveal in the final episode that um had sort of been hidden from the audience the whole time that is entirely possible here uh some stunt casting maybe they've got a big name for one of those or something that they're they're going to keep under their hat until later in the season but genuinely, there's so much story to tell in the modern era and in all of the eras of the past for the Mayfair family that they may have just decided Julian's too big to sprinkle in. We want a bigger name for him. We're going to have to wait to season two where we can give them a fuller role and you know and bring somebody in and make it worth their while and our while, etc. Right. I, I would not be... I don't think they've written Julian out of the show. I think Julian's too important a character and too beloved. I I think Julian's probably the favorite of the witches of you know, as far as like if if you took a poll among the the fans, well, I think he's probably the the top the top dog. And he is one of the witches. He is. He's I mean the storm happens when he dies and everything that happens with the, with the ladies happens with Julian, you know, and I love that. I love I love the idea of like Julian and Mary Beth kind of being two sides of the same coin in a lot of ways. You know, Mary Beth used to dress and drag and go running around the quarter and, you know, I love that, you know, and, and Julian was such a, you know, a fop in so many ways. It's just, I, I don't know. I love those characters. So I really do hope we see them. And I think that there is a huge opportunity for that. Like we said, this, this book is huge. You know, a 50 hour audiobook has a lot of legs in it to you know to run in different directions so i'm sure that we're in good hands just as we were with our, our sweet vampires and i mean we'll find out in the next couple of days yeah absolutely it's out there right now folks go watch the first episode of the mayfair witches from amc plus and amc and Anne rice and uh, the immortal universe it is out there for you um we will be back uh, we'll be back this weekend, in fact, talking about that first episode of uh, AMC Plus's uh, Mayfair Witches. Then we will be back Monday night, as we said, 5 p.m. Central. I think that's 3 p.m. Pacific time uh, on the Dorian app in a live stream uh, Dorian uh, discussion club of the premiere episode, a sort of premiere party for that. And I think we're going to do the same thing again at the end of the season yeah. for the finale episode, but we'll give you more details between here and there. But but now we'll be back. Ashley, we'll be back every week. Yeah, y'all, we're back to weekly. For at least the next uh, eight weeks. Yeah, I'm excited. It was Ooh. weird. Getting used to being weekly, it was so weird to have time off. I mean, I appreciated it. It was cool to get a little rest, but it was very weird not to talk to you, Joel. I agree. I agree. Once you get into the swing of it, you kind of miss it when we don't do it. So, And just glancing forward to give you guys a glimpse, probably what we'll do is when we wrap up the Mayfair Witches uh, series, we'll, we'll take about another month off, and then we'll come back with not only a couple of book episodes. Ashley and I are going to be reading uh, The Vampire Armand and The Vampire, or excuse me, uh, Pandora during the off season. Um, but I also want to do a couple of episodes about some other stuff. I've got uh, some ideas to do an episode specifically about uh, Anne Rice's religious life and and her journey in and out of and back into and back out of the Catholic Church uh, and uh, maybe about some of the other books. We've got some mummy books that we still haven't gotten oh, to. Oh, God, here on the show. yes. We've read the first one. We haven't read the second or third book. Yeah. 
Yeah. So anyway, there's lots of stuff for us to get to. We'll try it. And there, there's been some discussion even maybe about, hey, you guys should do commentary episodes for the for the first season of Interview during the off season. So I do think we'll be more regular. We won't go away for months and months on end, particularly because with production of Interview with a Vampire season two, I, it's not even going to start, I think, until the first of the year sometimes. So, you know, it's just now really beginning to ramp up. I don't think we're going to get it in 2023. I think it's probably going to be early 2024. It'll probably drop about January of 2024. So uh, we're not going to sit out that long is the point. So look forward to more content. Stay uh, subscribed to us. Follow us wherever you listen to podcasts. And um, and go join one of our groups. Join the Facebook group. Join the Discord community. No, no, and no. One no. of the things specifically that I I've seen several people bring up in the Discord is like, hey, maybe in the off season do uh, well. Several people have suggested, oh, you guys ought to do an episode about X show or Y show or Z show or whatever. I don't think we're going to do uh, any other TV shows in depth. But what we might do is do like a what else are you watching kind of thing where Ashley will get you to bring three or four of you know your tip top favorites that you've watched recently or something that you adore that you think our audience might enjoy. I'll do the same. That might be in the off season too. So we would love to hear those thoughts. If you've got some thoughts on some extra bonus episodes you'd like us to put out in between seasons, let us know. And in the meantime, get ready by going and watching the first episode of the Mayfair Witches from AMC. Ashley, we will be back uh, in just a day or two. Until then, We've been your hosts. I'm Joel. And I am Ashley. And we have been the Articulate Coven. Thanks for listening to the Articulate Coven. You can join our community on Facebook by following the links in the show notes or searching for Articulate Coven on Facebook. You can subscribe to the show in Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, or at ArticulateCoven.com and share us with your Anne Rice-loving friends. <laughs>